Welcome to the Duke. Hold on, I got a really big yawn. Oh, okay. And go. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 60. Is it? Episode 60, a good round number. That's right. We like round numbers. Those... That's going to come back around. Just just you wait. Just you wait. So here in episode 60, we are talking about The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to read from the end of part one through to the end of chapter 14. So the interludes and chapters 12, 13, and 14 of The Way of Kings, book one of the Stormlight Archive series. That's right. Next up... We are going to be covering chapters 15 through 17 of the same book. Sweet. So a little bit shorter chunk for you there. I it know would be it's been very confusing a bit of a struggle. If, if we chose to do chapters 15 through 17 of a different book. Look, we're bitches, but we're not anarchists. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just writing this down. We are bitches, not anarchists. That's our new catchphrase. Is that what you're writing down? Yes, exactly. Yes, that's exactly. (laughs) I need to remember that. So here we are at the end of part one, and now we jump into these interludes. Wait! We can't go any further forward. Why not? We have not given our spoiler policy. Oh, dang. Can you do that? Can you give our spoiler policy? Yes, sir. Let these fools know how we're going to spoil them. So we like our podcast to be uh, an introductory podcast. It's it's beginner friendly for those of you who are newish to the Cosmere. So we will not be spoiling things. We also uh, like Chad to not get spoiled. Yeah. Uh, he has not read these books. No. I have read them. We're going through. We like to have him make predictions at the end so we can laugh at him when he's wrong and be impressed when he's right. So we will not be spoiling anything that is past chapter 14 of The Way of Kings. As we've said before, Brandon Sanderson's books, most of them are interconnected through, they're all part of a shared galaxy called the Cosmere. There are hints and Easter eggs hidden in each of them. We will only be addressing those hints and Easter eggs if they do not spoil future plot points or other books in the Cosmere. So if you haven't read everything he's ever written, you can go ahead and listen and we're going to discover those things together. You get to enjoy the experience of watching somebody unspoiled go through and start to figure these things out on their own. That's what we're about. That is, in fact, what we are about. So what did you think of this section that we read this week? So... I liked the interludes, and I liked kind of the ending. I struggled a little bit through chapter 12. I actually fell asleep reading chapter 12 twice. You did? Yes. It's a long chapter. It's a long chapter. A lot of new names. And I tend to read at night, and then 
the nook smacks me in the face and then I wake up and I go, ah, <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, what am I doing? So I had to, I had to reread chapter 12 several times, but when I went back through and I, I read it and took notes, there's a lot of good stuff here. So I enjoyed this section. We're still in that sort of phase where we haven't really gotten into the story itself yet, you know, with these big doorstop first novels of a huge, you know, new world, you know it's not unusual to have 220 pages of sort of introductory stuff. And that's still kind of where we are. The interludes I enjoyed. Right on. I thought they were groovy. So should we dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. So interlude. And I just like, this is just the, the numbers nerd in me. I I like that the, the interludes are numbered. So this is I one. I didn't even pick up on that. The last series that we, covered there weren't numbers they were just you know different titles so we would have to be like interlude blah 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 and then read the whole title that is true it's hard to describe so this is i won it's called ishik though in this interlude a pure laker named ishik goes to meet several foreigners they've been paying him to look for a man named hoyd with silver hair and a sharp face He hasn't seen anyone like this in all his travels, but he offers to catch them a fish who might be able to find him. The man in question often goes in disguise, has a clever tongue, and changes his name, making the task more difficult. The foreigners leave, bemoaning their fool's errand, much to Ishik's bemusement. Side note, Ishik might be pronounced Ishik. I don't know. I haven't heard the audiobooks. (laughs) If you know any better, let me know. So that's what happens. It's a short little interlude. We get introduced to a different part of Roshar. Yeah, the Pure Lake area. And it's interesting because we get to see how important these high storms are to how the people live in different parts of the country. This is a, a part of Roshar that the high storms are not as strong. So the, the landscape is different. The way that the people live are different. Just interesting. Yeah. I've looked at the map of Roshar, and I really have to wonder if this is the only continent on the planet. I don't know that we know that. We certainly it's, don't. It's the mainland mass. Yeah. Okay. We certainly don't know. It, it's the name of the planet and the, the name of the main land mass is oh. what it said. Okay. So the land mass is called Roshar as well. Yes. Okay, cool. I enjoyed this chapter with Ishik. I, I liked this area. And at one point he says, oh, why doesn't everybody come and live at Pure Lake? And I was like, I know, right? Like, that's I where I, I want to live. I have wet feet all the time. Well, yeah, I th- I, yeah that, that's, a, that's a trade-off. But I think I'd I be thought, willing to geez, make it. geez, that sounds awful. Really? <laughs> Not me. I was like, this is great. I was like... You mean they have fish swimming around on the floors of their buildings? This is awesome. <laughs> does sound right up your alley. It does, right? I loved it. I thought it was super cool. The and, and it's interesting too the the cultural differences between these Rosharans and the other ones that yeah. we've seen. The Pure Lakers are much more slow paced, mm-hmm. kind of stereotypical um, island dwellers. That the pace of life is slower. Um, when he shows up to meet his foreigners, they say, you're late. And he says, it was like, isn't it whatever day? 
you know, and they're like, yeah, but we were going to meet at noon. And he's, he thinks, who pays attention to the time? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very slower pace of life. Um, they worship different gods. I love this. So the Pure Lakers God is called New Relic, but they have to pretend to worship his spiteful younger brother, Voon Macaque. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Otherwise, he'll curse them. Everyone knows that little brothers are vengeful. Everyone knows this. They all know it. I just thought that was clever and funny. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It also crossed my mind, like looking at the map and where this is located. So up in Pure Lake, it's in the northern side of the continent, and it's warmer there. And looking at the map on the southern end, they have like the frost plains or whatever they're called. I forget what they're called. So that means that assuming these are like normal planet rules, that we're in the southern hemisphere of this planet. I don't know that that means anything. Right. Um, but it's just something to reorient your brain to. Uh, whereas for those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere, which most of us on Earth live in the Northern Hemisphere, you have to think of the idea of going north means it gets colder. And here it's the opposite. So just something to think about. Right. And again, the storms are mild here. And the Pure Lake actually retreats when the storms come. Uh, so interesting. I was like, right? what? So the water recedes into the ground just like the plants do when there's a storm. That's insane. Right? So this lake is like, the lake is large enough to have its own tides. So landlocked bodies of water don't have tides unless they're enormous like seas or the great lakes or things of that nature so this thing is that big it's that wide but it's no more than six feet yeah true that's still a massive amount of water to then retract into the ground and then what happens to all the fish that's a good question Maybe they go into the ground with it. They must have adapted to be able to. Or Yeah, or they can stay outside of water for a certain length of time. Wow. Yeah, but that that was very much a, a head scratcher. And then they, they talked about this cat, Hoyd. So we have no idea, like, who these people really are who are looking for him or who the hell he is or what his relevance is to the story. But he has white hair a clever tongue, and an arrow-like face. So, like, an anime character? <laughs> yes, you guessed it. There is an anime character running around Roshar. Yeah, so he's like Friday from Empire of Corpses. I don't know anything about anime. Or like Ray from Fist of the North Star. You're impressing me with how much you know about you anime. You can't be walking around Pure Lake acting like Google? you're the Fist of the North Star. <laughs> You think I don't know the Fist of the North Star? I think you don't. I've watched way I'm, too way too much Fist of the North Star. Really? Yeah. You're a nerd. So, I love it. I'm searching for a man with seven scars across his scalp. <laughs> Dang. I, I want to know more about this character. And listen, if he can't punch a hole perfectly formed like a fist through someone's body that I ain't interested. 
Oh, you'll get interested. Mm, okay. All right. So let's talk about the characters introduced in this interlude. Yeah. So we have Grump, who equals Val or Veo. I think Grump was Temu. Oh, okay. Uh, so Blunt. I read it a bunch of times. Oh, okay. So Blunt is Val. Val. And Grump is Temu. Yes. And then we have somebody who has a scar on his scalp who looks like an Alethi but does not speak like an Alethi. Yes. It's because he's from another planet. Oh, you know too much. I told you too much. (laughs) I pay attention when you let little things slip. Well, I hope I don't ruin it for you. Well, you haven't ruined it for me. So essentially what you've said, I'll say it because I know it doesn't spoil Mm -hmm. anything, is that this is a character who shows up in another book. So this is where one of those weird Cosmere connections comes into play. So it sort of tells me that this is important, but I assume that anyway, because otherwise why would we have this random, you know, this would already give you an air of having that same level of importance anyway. I don't know anything about that character, so it doesn't really spoil anything. But it's cool to know that somehow this character shows up in some other epic on a different planet like it's so cool i don't know if i've ever told you that the interview i read about where brandon sanderson describes part of how he started thinking about the cosmere and coming up with it and he said that he as a kid used to kind of imagine that the different books he was reading the different fantasy novels what if they were connected Mm. he started imagining this character that was like behind the scenes in all of them and that there was some kind of story behind all of these books. And he started thinking about this character and he would kind of place him mentally like in the books that he was reading, like as a bystander oh. or whatever. And he would just start imagining that he was there and what was he doing? And and then he just actually wrote him, yeah. you know, and put him into his first book uh, as, a, as a sidebar. And then he's shown up in all of these other ones too. And it's, it's just, it's cool. I don't know. I just think it's, it's it a is, neat story. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, but that's really all we can sort of get out of this. We 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 don't know enough, or I don't know enough at this point to really make heads or tails of it. It's kind of a cool thing. I liked Ishik. I like Mabe. And yeah, and Mabe. I like the fact that you could eat a fish and it would tell you if your friends were going to be coming to visit you according to what the clouds looked like. I like the fact that you can make a guy enough soup that he has to marry you. (laughs) They practice gift debt. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much why we're married, but actually, yeah, lasagna instead of soup. Exactly. It's exactly. That's how how it all began. They think we're joking, but we're not. We're not joking. (laughs) All right. So next interlude. I too. I too. That's right. It's called Nan Balat. Whose name we have heard before. So we get a peek into the head of one of Shalan's brothers, and boy, is it disturbing. He ruminates on his concerns for Shalan and his guilt for not going in her place. His thoughts are interrupted by Tet Wickham, his younger brother. Wickham tells him that they have a big problem. And that's pretty much what happens. There's not really a plot plot here. It's just kind of seeing what, what this guy is like and what he's thinking about. Well, to me, the most interesting part of this interlude is 
what it says about a character who's not there anymore, which yes. is Shallan's father. Yes. Um, non Balat is obviously a very disturbed individual. Yes. Um, in this, we see him, he's, he's pulling the legs off of a crab. Well, that's his first introduction is that he always liked to torture small animals. Okay. Yeah. The first line is non Balat liked killing things. And it, it talks about how, you know, it just relieves some sort of pressure inside of him and he never killed people, but he, he enjoys killing small animals. They also make it fairly clear from the beginning that although he likes to torture small animals, he knows it's wrong. Well, it's interesting because I and I read a couple of articles um, as I was rereading this for the podcast about psychopaths and sociopaths, because obviously those are the words that come to mind when yeah. someone is torturing small animals. And it's interesting because non Balat, though he he does have this behavior. You know, the hallmark of a psychopath or a sociopath is lack of empathy and lack of remorse. And you don't see that in this character. You know, the whole time that he is, even as he's torturing this crab, he's thinking about his sister, worrying about how she's doing and feeling guilty that he's not the one who went uh, on this mission in the first place. So it's interesting. Yeah, but torturing small animals is one of the three elements on the mcdonald triad the dark triad like if you get if you get checks in three of the boxes you're there likely to be something wrong with ronald killer. mcdonald i mean we all know this but <laughs> i i'd never put those things together <laughs> thank you for it's a creepy dude <laughs> just saying where do those hamburgers come from <laughs> Some small animals, I guess. He had a head injury, or it was no, oh, it's bedwetting, arson, and torturing small animals. Mm-hmm. Those are the three corners of the McDonald Triad. Indeed, it's uh, it's Hamburglar, Grimace. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's move on. So, and again, the first time I believe that we hear Nanbalat's name is a one of Shalon's flashes of memory when she's thinking about the death of her father and the flashes of Nanbalat with his face bruised and his coat torn. Yeah, and that's where the the one where she's standing with a sword, which is obviously a shard blade, and something has happened and her father's dead. Right. And so and we, we get another glimpse of Shalon's father, like you said, through Nanbalat, and he... Um, Tortured his children, it sounds like. Yes. Everyone but Shalon. Yeah, so Shalon just got isolated. Uh, one older brother got driven off, and they say he's dead, whether he was is dead or not, we don't really know. Then we have the next oldest brother, who is non-Balat, who likes to torture animals. And then we have Asha Jushu, driven to vice, and Tet Wickham, driven to despair and i just keep thinking these sound like jedi names well did you catch that the names were numbers no so non um well non's one he's non balat because he's the oldest so if he dies jushu would become non Non jushu Uh, so asha means is the second he's the second brother and And ted is the third is the third so they're titles okay i thought that was kind of cool i picked up a non equaling the first but i did not pick up on the other i just thought they were jedi well i think that they talk about uh the, their older brother who died being non-hilarin yeah 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 well that's where i picked that up i assumed 
that that title did not go right. down the ranks, though. So right. I assumed incorrectly. We also get our first introduction to Axhounds. We've they've been referenced, mm-hmm. but now we actually kind of get to see. It's kind of cool, right? It's like a giant cricket. It's a giant cricket with eight legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also see span reads. For yeah, the that first was going to be my next note. Don't really know what it means, but it does allow them to communicate over long distances. I'm sure we'll get more on what that means later. It's the fantasy equivalent of the cell phone. Indeed. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So, Seth. Seth, in this interlude I3, is called The Glory of Ignorance. In this one, we catch up with Seth, the truthless of Shinovar, the assassin in white, and we find out a little bit more about the nature of his bondage. Apparently, he's changed masters many times since the assassination of King Gavilar and is now owned by a man named Took or Took? Took. Yeah, I'm going Took. I'm going Took. That is, until Took is killed by footpads who, in finding Seth's O-Stone, Become his new masters. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Now he has to dro- join the Thieves Guild. <laughs> so first comments about, about this chapter. These people's accents suck. Right? Oid say. Oid say. Sorry, we don't spend a lot of time in the mine country. No, thank- <laughs> thankfully not. But it was just interesting to me, all the hard R's and the oid. Mm-hmm. Oid-like to go for a ride because oi don't own a bicycle (laughs) a little bit strange anyway so the other thing that i noticed is that he has this line in here he had to preserve himself so he could suffer so like every poetry account that's on twitter (laughs) exactly And we learn more about the nature of how it is that he is passed from owner to owner. And it's literally a rock. He's got a rock that if you pick it up, that's it. You're his master. I'm not it's bananas, right? It's it's cuckoo bananas. It's bonkers. I mean, the whole society can't live that way. Are they? I mean, do the people in Shinovar just stand around handing rocks to each other and... The, the impression, for me, the first time I read this, the impression that I had was that being truthless is something very unusual. Yeah, I, I get that You as know, well. these yeah, guys yeah. aren't like, oh, there's, oh, you're Oathstone, okay. You know, they've never heard of this before. But it also seems like that the shins that they find outside of Shinovar seem to fall into this category. How, how do you mean? Well, because what the, what other people talk about and what, uh, Seth talks about when he's encountered other people is that people assume that shins are like uh, part like parchment, except more intelligent and more docile than, or I guess not docile, but that they're more intelligent than than parchment, and that they are commonly sold as slaves because they're more useful than parchment. And like when the footpads are like, "Oh, don't bother him." He's not, you know, he's not going to do anything. And then they can, t- it, 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 like it says over and over again that what's happening to him has happened to other people. It seems like most people outside of Shinovar, what they know of the Shin are the same sort of things that's going on with Seth. It's the impression I got from it. 
the Shin are known to be very docile. And I think they're taken as slaves often. I think what Seth was talking about himself as far as being more useful than a parchment. Hmm, okay. That kind of thing. But I think in general, the idea of being truthless or having an oath stone is not something that many people know about. And it's very rare, even among, even among the Shin. Okay. Gotcha. All right. There was one other important note that I got from this chapter. And that was that Seth took the, uh, the dark stone, which I'm going to call the null marble from King Gavilar. Mm -hmm. And he hid it in Jock of Ed, mm-hmm. which is where Shalon is from, mm-hmm. which is where Shalon's father used to dig and mine for marble. Hmm. That's a good observation. Did you catch that summoning a shard blade turns your eyes light? I caught that it turned his eyes light. I didn't think that that would be a universal thing. Well, this is the only shard blade we've actually seen wielded up close, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. So far. Coolio. Yeah. Are you ready for part two? Heck yeah. Are you ready for the illuminating storm? Illuminate me, baby. (laughs) So chapter 12 is called Unity. And it begins not with a quote from a dying person this time, but from a letter. And I'm just going to read this first part. It says, old friend, I hope this missive finds you well, though, as you are now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. It's cool if you go through and read the whole letter, but when you get to the end of the book. Well, I just caught because we read, you know, three chapters. This is the first one that starts the letter. Mm -hmm. So I just sort of caught that it that it is a continuation, that it is some kind of a Mm -hmm. letter. And from chapter to chapter, you can kind of build the letter out. But obviously I can't go ahead. Right. Because I have integrity, and I do it for you. I know you do. I meant them. I know that as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have, I have a. Um, do you want to give a quick summary? Because I have a. I will. I have a quick couple of line sentences. My overall summary, but but you go first. So in this chapter, we are introduced to several new characters, and we watch as they head out to hunt a chasm fiend. We meet Elokar, the young king of the Alephi, who lives in his father's shadow and the shadow of his uncle Dalinar, the Blackthorn. Dalinar is a legendary fighter, and he's been tormented by fits that occur during the high storms. His two sons, Adelin and Renarin, worry about his future and reputation. We meet Sidious and find out that he is Dalinar's political enemy, and we also meet the king's wit. That's it. My summary says, Sidious is evil, Elicar is a jackass, Shardplate is awesome, God is a crab, and the Targaryens rule Roshar. <laughs> Yours is better. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of new characters. There's a lot that happens. You, coming yeah. at your way. Yeah, we learn in chapter about, twelve. Yeah, Jana and Rilla and Varshan and D- Lomard and Dealy and the King's Wit and yeah, there's just there's a lot of new people thrown here, and you really get to see a lot more of the Alethi, you know, and the Alethi noble class sort mm-hmm. of in action, and you get you start to begin to get more of a sense of why they're out here on the Shattered Plains. Well, at least sort of what they're doing, you still don't really get, 
you don't get all the answers, but you, right. you get a few more clues. Right. So the chapter opens with on Elokar, who is the king of the Alethi. Yeah. He was Gavilar's son, and he is Jasna's brother. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's insecure, he's terrified of assassins, irrationally so, but he takes risks when he's out on this hunt. So they're going out to hunt a chasm fiend. Yeah, he says, today is an excellent day to kill a god. To kill a god. So that means giant crabs are gods. Well, it's mentioned that the Parshendi worship them. Gotcha. Or they think that the Parshendi worship them. Does that mean that the crusty crab is heaven? I guess, for the Parshendi. Mr. Krabs will be very happy to hear that. I mean, there's a lot of crabs in this on this planet. That's true, that's true. A lot of crustaceans. Yeah. So we also meet Dalinar. Um, we saw him very, very briefly in the prelude, or the prologue, one of those two. And he's basically passed out drunk as Seth is yeah, which heading. Yeah, I, I did not put together... The first like three times I started reading this chapter, right? I didn't I didn't put that together. Yeah, he's passed out drunk as Seth is walking through the feasting hall to find yeah Gavilar to kill him. He's also the brother that Gavilar says, "Tell my brother mm-hmm. he has to find the most important words a man can say." Yep, I know what they are. Do you? Yes. What are they? I'm sorry. So Dalinar is a very interesting character. He's not certainly not the character that we saw in the prelude, passed out drunk. Um, it, it turns no, out that yeah, that, yeah. that uh, event really changed him in ways that seem good, but that his sons aren't too happy with. He was once this legendary fighter called the Blackthorn. Man, that's a cool nickname. That's a pretty damn cool nickname. But ever since then, he's gotten kind of strange, at least according to the Alethi. He's obsessed with these codes of war and being honorable and just trying to to protect the kingdom and the king's son. Yeah, and you get the sense, or at least I sort of got the sense that Adolin, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Adolin? Adolin is what Adeline, I would say, but... Whatever. So Adolin, Adolin, who, who is his son, I get the impression that younger Dalinar was much more like him. Yes. And we find out he's he's a poon hound. Adeline is a player. Yeah, he is. He's an F boy. He's something. So the the thing I thought was interesting is we in this chapter in the beginning, we meet Sidious and Dalinar on like just a couple of paragraphs away from each other, right? Right. But Sidious is described as ugly with like this red face and a bulbous nose sticking out from his shard plate and you're like ooh obviously evil and then Dalinar is described a couple paragraphs later and it's like well his nose was a little crooked and he had a wicked scar and he was, it was a warrior's face but no woman would call him ugly or would call him attractive necessarily and it's like wait a minute you're just describing like you're just choosing to describe two homely looking men but one you're doing in a way that is clearly intended to be more sympathetic than the other well remember who the point of view character is and it's adeline true yeah who yeah. hates sadius's yes guts yes 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 hates his guts so again brandon sanderson really uses those point of view characters 
to change the tone. Yeah, and the, and, and the voice, yeah. And it's never like an impartial narrator, but kind of speaking through the character. It's it's always very much colored by that character. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is a good catch. I mean, my notes for Sidious are <laughs> two lines. Basically, Prince Humperdinck wants a shard blade real bad. Almost seven words. Oh, it's true. I almost had you. Almost. <laughs> I'm just going to have to make you more soup, I guess. Yeah, you, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So, yeah, that's what we, we know about Sidious so far. He's a dick. He basically spends this chapter antagonizing Dalinar, getting in little subtle digs. The Alethi nobility are not nice people. No, no. It's very much a competitive, backstabbing sort of society. You know, Adeline says it at one point that wealth and prestige are what being a Lethe is about. So they're very into that. They're very into jockeying with each other for favor, for position, for riches. And having a shard blade and plate is one of the biggest sources of prestige among them. Yeah, because these are items that cannot be produced anymore. Right. So shard plate just gets passed down from generation to generation, and you better keep your girlish figure or you're not going to fit in your damn shard plate anymore. Right. You just need extenders. You just need girth extenders. Yeah, breastplate stretchers. Breastplate stretchers. I thought it was an interesting comparison that, you know, shard plate are these, you know, magical plates, right, that are seamlessly sort of locked together to give you this, like, you know, shard plate, you know, carapace. And also, so many of the animals are crustaceans with Mm. these sort of locking shells. It's like, it's like the world is demanding you have an exoskeleton. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in a world that demands that you have an exoskeleton. Interesting. So I thought that was interesting. Well, let's talk about Adeline. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, he comes across as as a little bit of a frat boy, a little bit of a playa, but he also is very competent as a leader and very yeah. loyal to his father. Like he doesn't agree with him and he chafes under his father has very strict requirements for him and, and pretty much anyone under his command that they dress a certain way, that they act a certain way. But Adeline is respectful towards him and respectful to his wishes even though he doesn't necessarily agree with them. Yeah, I thought he came across as likable. Yeah. There was only one part that really sort of bothered me in this chapter, and it was when Adeline was talking to his lieutenants and sort of, uh, you know, so he's responsible for kind of maneuvering the armies around them to sort of watch for uh, Parshendi sneaking up and make sure that everyone's safe. Um, And he says to one of the guys, he's like, make sure you deploy them uh, to plateaus six and eight. The guy's like, six and eight? You know, and he's like, yeah, I, we don't want him to sneak up behind us. That's the first place they would go. And he's like, oh, there you go. You know, like, oh, Adeline's brilliant. That's always a big pet peeve of mine, though. When you attempt to demonstrate someone's competence by doing something that is common sense to anybody in that position and have the people around them go what six and eight that's crazy oh you mean they might sneak up behind us oh okay great i'll do that 
So I think the piece that's missing here is the fact, and I don't know how blatantly it's put out there or if it's kind of subtle at this point. None of the other Alethi are acting like they're at war mm, at all. And this is a hunt that's taking place very close to their safe zone, like their camp. So it's seen as pretty ridiculous that Dalinar is making them, you know, put up rear guards and even act as though it's even possible that it's been like years since the Parshendi have attacked this close. Nobody actually thinks that's going to happen. Okay. For Dalinar, if they're at war, you do this. Full stop. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Like this is just what you do, even if you don't really think you're in danger because he takes it very seriously. Yeah. And so it's to kind of highlight... Because that's smart, because if it's a sneak attack, you're not going to expect it. So that's why you always follow the process. You know? Exactly. But it's but, just to highlight that Dalinar is the only one in the entire military who makes that still acts that way. Got, yeah, okay. You know, gotcha. and over the years, it's just, it's devolved. I mean, you see, they get to the plateau and there's these nobles, they're, they're in silks, they're lounging, yeah, yeah. they're drinking yeah. wine, like... They're not on a military march. Well, and it's been referenced that discipline is lacking overall in the army several times. So, okay. Right. Right. They're just, they kind of troop around. They capture these gem hearts, make a lot of money. I mean, that's it. That's what they're doing here. And um, Dalinar and his family are the only ones that are still acting as though they're at at war with the Parshendi. Yeah. So there's, that's why people are surprised that they want to post any kind of rear guard Gotcha, yeah. The one thing I did like that I thought was a good sort of reveal for um, Adeline was his interactions with the king's wit. Yes. Because Dalinar does not like the king's wit. It certainly seems like that at this point. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty clear. His brother does not like the king's wit. We also get several sort of times where you can see that, like, Adeline thinks this whole hunt— is ridiculous. Right. Like, so things that are important to the Alethi noble are not the things that he values. Right. So it's interesting that that he likes the king's wit because the king's wit is there to poke holes in all of their shiny exteriors. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he likes them because he, he sort of feels the same way. Like, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. Silk mm-hmm. awnings and... You're going to call this noble? We're going to pelt this stupid, dumb creature with arrows until it can't move and then go hack its head off. This is There's nothing noble about this. Mm-hmm. So I thought all of that was sort of an interesting character study for him. That is interesting. That's a good catch. Also, Grand Bows. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I like that. That was pretty groovy. But Adeline is dating his first cousin. Yeah, I guess it's one of those fantasy worlds. So that's a little bit strange. It's okay. It doesn't look like he's going to be dating her very long. So it also turns out that the chrysalis things that we saw back in Kaladin's chapters are the chasm fiend's eggs. Yes, basically. Okay. So just trying to put they're, all... They're, they're, they're in their pupating stage. Yeah, correct. Yep. So I thought that was interesting because Sidia spends all of his time hacking gems out of stationary, vulnerable eggs, but yet he casts shade on Dalinar for taking them from a living monster. Right. I think, well, Sidious is going to cast shade on Dalinar any way he He's can. just looking for every opportunity to put him down. 
Right. But he does have to fight the Parshendi to get to the chrysalises. Oh, yeah. True. True. And did you catch that the, the gem hearts, that's how they power their fabrials and their their soul casters to make their food and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that's why they're out here. You could talk about vengeance, and I'm sure that plays a part in it. But what we've seen is it seems more like sort of a power grab, resource war. Yeah, absolutely. More than anything else, yeah. Absolutely. So that's all I had for Chapter 12. And so we also meet two other characters we didn't really get into as Renarin, who is the younger son of Dalinar. Yes, yes, yes. Completely different from his brother, kind of polar opposite. Not the dashing warrior that his older brother is. No, it's mentioned that he has a blood weakness we don't know what, what that, that is, is, but it yeah. keeps him from being able to really practice with the sword or do a whole lot. Um, he doesn't have shard plate, shard blade, anything like that, like his brother does. He he finds wit unnerving, and that's pretty much all we know. Um, wit, however, w- one thing I thought was interesting is, so basically, the king's wit is kind of like a, a, a king's fool, but not not like a not jester. The ge- yeah, yeah. He's there. His job is to make fun of the nobles so that the king doesn't have to. And so he just kind of goes around razzing everyone. And when he goes to razz Renarin, that's what upsets Dalinar. In yeah. general, I think mm-hmm. he just kind of is like, whatever with this guy. But um, usually the wit leaves leaves Renarin alone. And when Dalinar tells him to back off and says, you know, tells him to save his mockery for those who deserve it. Wit goes over and very quietly says to him, those who deserve my mockery are those who can benefit from it. And that one is stronger than you think. Yeah, I liked, um, I, I liked the wit. The wit, um, also, Adeline says that while he has blue eyes, he's not really a light eyes, he's kind of a category all his own. And that he seems to know things that he shouldn't, important things. Yeah. There's that. There is that, that is for sure. Are we ready for chapter 13? Lucky, lucky 13? Yes, chapter 13 is called 10 Heartbeats. Yep. And this is where it kind of gets exciting. The hunting party fights a chasm fiend on its own terms. During the fight, the king's saddle breaks and he is spectacularly saved by Dalinar. And everyone is hella impressed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So this is this is where all the hacking and all the slashing take place. It's also, you know, like you said, it, it talks about um, 10 heartbeats is the name of it. And it starts out saying, you know, one heartbeat. And this is the time mm-hmm. until the shard blade will materialize in front of his hands. This is also the point at which you should realize, if you haven't to this point, that the secret that Shalon keeps that's 10 heartbeats away is a shard blade. Right. Isn't yeah. that a cool concept? It is a cool concept, yeah. I like I when we were going through last time, I didn't catch the ten heartbeats thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't catch it. And you mentioned it and I was like, whatever. Right. And then I was actually listening back through the podcast and when we got when I got to that part where you said the ten heartbeats, I was like it's a shard play. <laughs> And then, you know, when you get here, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, clearly that's what's happening. That's clearly what's going on. So, 
I just I think it's a cool concept. So if a person has a shard blade, they hold their hand out to the side, it takes 10 heartbeats for it to appear. And then if they drop it accidentally, it just puffs to smoke. I want that same thing, except I want it with a Coke Zero. <laughs> if I hold my hand out, 10 seconds later, it'll appear. I was going to say I want it for my car keys, but <laughs> yours might be better. Nope. Going Coke Zero. <laughs> The Duke and Duchess podcast are brought to you by the crisp, cool, refreshing taste of Coca-Cola. So the action starts out this chapter, and it's kind of funny. What they've been doing, this hunting party, is they've been traveling out because a, a chasm fiend has been spotted. And it's been a long time since one has come close enough to the camps for them all to head out like this mm-hmm. and for the king to par- participate in the hunt. And they they pick two plateaus and one is the viewing plateau. And so all the female scribes are there because women are the only ones that can write. So they're there to record what happens. Some nobles who aren't participating are there in their awnings and their wine and, you know, other people who are Mm non-combatants. And then on a adjacent plateau, they have a chull, kind of a herd animal, towing a pig carcass around on a rope around the, the chasms around it. Yeah, and they've yeah. got pig's blood poured down. So they're drawing the chasm fiend to this plateau so that they can just pelt it with arrows and annihilate it. But yeah. what ends up happening is the chull wanders off and the pig carcass is left. And they, as they realize that the pig carcass is missing, they turn to see the chasm fiend crawling up onto the viewing plateau. And so... That's where all the chicks are. All the chicks are there. You can't, you can't go over there. He's gonna steal our boxed wine. You gotta be all manly now. So it, it's Elicar, Dalinar, Adelin, and Sadius are kind of the only ones there. You know, all the, the the soldiers and the armed men are over, not close. Yeah, yeah. All right, so they've got to now attack this, and the king just runs right at it. It's like huzzah. <laughs> But I am the king. I can't he, be harmed. And he says something ridiculous like, yeah. meet your fate, monster. Yeah, yeah. Just runs at him. And Dalinar's like, crap. And, and then at one point later, he says something like, when he narrowly escapes getting, you know, annihilated, and he charges back in there, he says something equally stupid. And Dalinar, like, actually, like, rolls his eyes. <laughs> Oh my God, this jackass. Well, we've really seen Dalinar's devotion to his nephew through this chapter and the last. You know, in the last chapter, we see Elokar, you know, he's kind of chafing at having to go carefully and place rear guards. And and at one point, he just dashes off. He's like, I'll race you to the top of the hill, you know. And Dalinar's like, son of a... You know, he goes off after him and and they're racing to the top of this cliff. And Chase me, chase me, chase me. (laughs) And Dalinar is like kind of getting into it and then he deliberately stops. So Dalinar is remembering a, a vision that he has and we find out that he's has visions during these high storms. Yeah. And the words unite them. And he's he's just really he doesn't have time for all the the play acting and the the maneuvering that the other nobles do because he's he's got this purpose given he's to him supposedly by his vision. He's on a mission from God. Like Jake and Elwood Blues. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> He's here to save the, the nunnery. Mm-hmm. He's going to save the church. So anyway, during this race, he's 
about to beat his nephew and he deliberately stops and lets him win. Yep. And then you see that carried through in the fight with this chasm fiend. And I think yeah, it's yeah. it's really interesting to watch each participant, what they do and what it says about their character. Because you have Elagar, who's just a jackass, who's just charging in there. Are you a god? Yeah. Smack, smack. You know, but he's just getting pounded. Meet your fate. <laughs> right? I have a half a tankard of ale. A horse has a full <laughs> belly. It's dark and I'm wearing sunglasses. <laughs> I shall smite thee. <laughs> he's just doing absolutely no good at all. Because no. he's got a shard blade. So shard blades don't cut through tissue. So they can cut through the shell of the of the great shell. Um, but because that's like cutting a person's hair or fingernails. Yeah, yeah. But unless he gets it in just the right spot, he's not going to be able to actually damage an organ because shard blades, you know, they cut the soul. Yeah, yeah. So what Dalinar and Adeline start doing right away, what they realize they've got to do is go for the legs because those are small enough. And if they get enough of them, then they'll be able to knock it down. Yeah. So you've got Elicar just charging in like a jackass. You have Sidious who is shooting arrows from way back. Well, he doesn't have a shard blade. Exactly. So he there's nothing he can really do. Even so, way back shooting arrows. And if you notice, when Dalinar is the one who's in trouble, he puts down his bow. And then you've got Dalinar who... In this spectacular show of machismo and strength. Oh, yeah. Catches the chasm fiend's claw as it's about to crush the king with his, just with his hands. Yeah, he and everyone's slides like, down on his knees. What? And he's like, rah, rah, you know, all this showy, showy manly stuff. And then yeah. you have Adeline who is like, kind of really saving the day because yeah, he's yeah. still just hacking away at the legs, supporting player, and really just excited to see his father like, in his glory again. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it's just kind of a little piece of what each character is actually like in this conflict. I, I had a, showed a little bit of respect for Sidious in this chapter because he does provide, you know, he he hits the the creep, the chasm fiend, just at the right time, just enough to distract him, to stop him from killing the king, and he and Dalinar kind of nod at each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought Sidious is not a complete jackass yeah you don't really doubt that he's loyal to the king yeah but he and dalinar definitely do not get along and you get the the idea that cds would wouldn't save dalinar if he was hanging off a cliff no can we talk about dalinar's sword yeah because it is clearly straight out of an anime it's like six foot long five inches wide and like it has like the curvy wave at the bottom. I'm like, you know, I'm like, this is straight out of an anime movie or an anime video. I game. don't watch any anime ever. Or like, so I'll just have to take your word. It, for but that. you've seen the like cosplayers of the people with the stupidly ridiculous oversized swords that nobody could realistically wield. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what this reminds me of. Oh, okay. And it's called Oathbringer. It is. One of the novels in this series is called Oathbringer. Yes, it is. Those things cannot be related. 
That's your sarcastic voice, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah, good catch. The sword is definitely uh, important. And the chasm fiend is clearly just a hermit crab out of its shell. <laughs> blown up 10,000 times its regular size. Because have it's, you seen a hermit crab outside of its shell? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. That's exactly what it looks I like. I had a hermit crab in middle school, and it got out of its shell and out of the cage and died in the bathroom like weeks after it went missing. <laughs> and, you know, you would think I would have been sad that my hermit crab died, but more I was creeped out by how weird it looked and the thought that it had been crawling around my bedroom with its coiled up, like crabby body they're weird they're some creepy looking things chasm fiends definitely yuck Um, we also find out that Dalinar he sees saving Elokar and his kingdom as his way of finding redemption for failing his brother because he was drunk because he was drunk like a stupid drunk like a drunky drunk man exactly we also find out that Elokar is probably the kind of dude that still says YOLO (laughs) <laughs> i mean i'm just saying he's got a pop collar oh yeah two two pop collars i he's heard got he did the tide polo. pod challenge oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah he's he's a real piece of work and poor renarin runs in to try to help at one point yeah it's like get out of here and everyone's like what are you doing? You're useless. Just go of, wait over no, there. Okay, <laughs> fine, I was just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 14. Chapter 14 is called Payday. So now we finally get back to a character we've met in the previous episodes. Yes, we're back to Kaladin. And there's a letter excerpt. And there is before chapter 13 too, but I thought this one was... Um, significant in that the writer says the element is quite safe i protect it like my own skin yeah i picked up on that as well what the element is i mean it's just a mystery yeah i mean i you know have some ideas but well i'll i'll collect more evidence so in this chapter kaladin tries to get the men up the train and it does not work He reminds Gaz about his bribe and he spends the whole day running a plank by himself. Syl realizes that she is changing very quickly and she has no idea why. That's kind of what happens. But there's a lot of inner character development going on as well. Yeah, so so we start out with Kaladin walking into the barracks. He has no authority. These people, he doesn't like them they don't like him he's done nothing to earn it and he's like get up you scum and line up he doesn't call them scum basically he does (laughs) not he just punches one of them in the stomach oh exactly yeah if you don't get out and line up i'll tear every one of you out of here by your collars yes that's more like it this is the guy in the army that everybody hated. I ran into this guy in the army all the time. Super fucking annoying. You're just staring at me. 
Just keeping my feelings inside for the good of our relationship. So listen, just because you want to do some extra PT doesn't mean you have to wake all of us up and make us do it, asshole. Well, you know what? You would be the guy that died on the next bridge run. I'd be okay with that. Have fun with that. (laughs) Sounds like a shitty life anyway. (laughs) I feel like these guys run bridge crews three times a week, and when they're not doing that, they're scrubbing latrines and they barely get fed. I feel like the problem is less one of physical fitness. No, well, I mean, you, you can think that. It pretty explicitly says in the chapter that the problem is that they don't exercise between bridge runs. Like, they give them duties, but they don't actually make them work. Like, But that's exercise. Like, three times a week running these bridge crews. That's, I mean... But if the rest of the time you're just sitting... And most of them only make it for a couple of weeks on a bridge crew before they die, physical fitness is not the problem. It's the only one that Kaladin has any control over, though. Uh, maybe. If you look at, okay, so here he's in this situation, the shittiest situation you could possibly imagine. So, like, take your army experience out of it. Take, like, oh, hey, we're all here voluntarily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, hey, we get fed three times a day. And, oh, hey, like, our leaders actually want us to live. You know, take all that out. And, and that's the situation that he's in. And he's decided he wants to do something to try and save them. Yeah, which is admirable. So again, what what can he do? He can't get them more food. He can't get them shields. All he can do is maybe get them to run faster so that they can get to the battle at the optimal time that fewer of them die. That's it. That's that's all he's got. And that is an admirable goal. I feel like you're. I'm a little defensive. Up about this. I'm a little defensive. Don't talk about Kaladin like that, man. (laughs) So listen, he gets judgy, judgy over there. (laughs) Huh. He gets a lesson in authority. Yes, and I think that's the one of the main themes. Yeah, well, it's in the book so far and in this chapter particularly. Yeah, and they talk about authority, which I thought was pretty interesting. It reminds me of all the times where you've gone really, really uber into the psychology and wanted to break it down and break out the DSM and and uh, diagnose these characters. Well, finally, I have something academic to contribute to this conversation. Yes. And Does that, this mean I get to make the dick jokes? Yes, please do. I'll try to think of one. Please do. No promises. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not my forte. He's attempting to grab authority, and it reminds me of the three types of authority, as posited by Max Weber, one of the fathers of sociology, along with Emil Durkheim and Karl Marx. Right on. And so he put forward that there are three types of authority the first being legal rational authority which is really just authority by virtue of the fact that you have a position for instance gaz he's in charge just because someone said he's in charge and that is his job not because he's good at it not because anyone likes him just by the legal virtue of his position right on the other end you have charismatic authority, 
which is all about force of personality, excellence, skill, the people are drawn to you because you're good at what you do. And then sort of in the middle of those things is traditional authority, which is based on both a dominant personality, somebody who is skilled, but also because of some sort of public mandate or by virtue of their position has also a little bit more of a legal authority as well, sort of a combination of the two. So if you look at Kaladin's experience to date, when he was in Amaram's army, he was in a position where he had traditional authority because he had the excellence, he had all the charismatic things going for him, but he also was put in charge of these men. He was the squad leader by position. Now he finds himself in a place where he does not have any of that legal authority at all. And he also, stepping kind of outside of this, doesn't really have a lot of leverage with any of these people. So the only thing he has to go on is charisma, if he wants to have any authority at all, is charismatic authority by virtue of being smarter, by virtue of being better, more skilled, eloquent, and, you know, caring and demonstrating through his force of personality. And if he, and he's going to have to figure that out or else he stands no chance. So how do you think he does with that in his decision to run that bridge plank by himself for several hours? Okay, so one of the things that's always been difficult for me in these Kaladin chapters with the bridge is forgetting the fact that the Rosharans are not like humans. Because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, he's going to kill himself. He's never going to be able to recover fast enough to go out there and actually be effective in the field. But that clearly does not seem to be a problem for them. So understanding that these Rosharans seem to be able to recover from dramatic exertion in such a quick period of time, I think he makes the best move he can make. You know, and I think he is doing the only thing he can do to get through to these guys. And he's going to have to demonstrate over time that he does actually care for them and want to try to, to do better and sort of start winning them over one by one. It's interesting to me that he recognizes that, but he still keeps throwing out the things like form up after this one. And the last one to show up is going to scrub toilets in assuming authority where he does not have authority because that's going to alienate other people. It's interesting that you say that because Kaladin and Gaz have a conversation about authority. They do. When Kaladin drags the men out, he gets them out by punching one of them in the stomach. Mm -hmm. They all stumble out. He he tries to get them to start. He tells them they're going to start exercising and he he wants to make sure the bridge four never loses another man. And this is going to help improve their chances of survival. And they're like, Gaz, do we have to do this? And Gaz is like, nope. And they're like, well, storm off, friend. Yep. That's it. And Gaz says to him, you you don't have authority. You're not a squad leader anymore. These are bridgemen. They're, they're bridgemen for a reason because they suck at everything else. There is nothing you can do. And Kaladin says to Syl, he's wrong. 
authority doesn't come from rank. It comes from the men who give it to you. And that's just what he decides to do. I also think it's important to note that Kaladin gets strange reserves of strength just when he feels like he's about to collapse. Okay. So, yes, Rosharans are not like us. However, what Kaladin does here in front of the men impresses even them. Yeah. Even the ones who aren't bridgemen stop their work. The carpenters, everyone is just watching him. Yeah. And at the end, the the largest of the crew, um, Rock, who's the horn eater, um, comes over and, and picks up the plank. And it's they not all, a good diet choice, by the way. Right. They, um, they say, oh, they had made a bet. He had made a bet that he was using a, a lighter wood to impress them. Um, so they're all very, so it's, even for a Roshar, and what Kaladin does here is is impressive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So Moash, I don't know that we've met him before, but he's the one who stands up to Kaladin. That's another new character. The one who gets punched in the gut, right? He gets punched, yeah. And we also meet Sigzel, who's a Makabaki, but we don't know much else about him. And then we see Teft again here. So let's talk about Syl and what happens with her at the end of the chapter. Yeah, because at the end of the chapter, we have this conversation with her. And this is a very different thing from what the rest of the chapter is about. Correct. It's it's a little bit of an abrupt shift. You know, we have Kaladin. It's not abrupt, but we here we have Kaladin and his... Quest for leadership. Exactly. And then he, you know, he goes off, he runs the plank, he falls down, he collapses, and and Sill is standing over him going, wake up, there's something really important. Yeah, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. And he's like, what? And she's like, I've decided that I'm glad that you didn't break your word. And he's like, what? (laughs) And she's like, you don't understand. I know what a lie is. I know what death is now. You know, and in just 24 hours, all of a sudden... Like she understands sarcasm. That was kind of funny. Yeah. She's like, I know what sarcasm is. Her ex- her conscious is expanding at a rapid rate. It, it is. And she, even though she has no memories that are more than a year old, just in 24 hours, she's become, you know, like fully sentient. Yeah, yeah. And able to understand abstract things. And they puzzle through that and... Cal asks her, is it possible that you've been through this before, but you've just forgotten? And she says, I don't like that. But I don't like the idea. It's terrifying. That. It's terrifying. Exactly. And then from that comes my favorite line so far in the book. Mm-hmm. Where he says, I understand. He says, it's like you're scared to go onward, but you're terrified to go back to what you were. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ooh, that's a good line. It is a good line. Yeah. So it ended on what I thought was a pretty cool note. I'm hoping tonight I can read some more. Yeah. Ready to move forward to chapter 15. That's right. So 15, 16, 17 is what we're doing. So yes. A little bit smaller chunk. Shouldn't be quite so overwhelming to get through. Absolutely. So are you ready to talk about some listener interactions? Yes, I am. All right. So on Twitter, we got a question from Seth Byram. uh, Baram, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. So give me a correction. 
uh, on Twitter at Seth uh, Byram two. That's S E T H B Y R A M two. And he says, question, are all the various types of spren vaguely humanoid like Sill? And if so, is it safe to presume they're capable of gaining consciousness like Sill? Needless to say, pretty confused about spren. Yeah, and I think at this point in the book, the spren are meant to be kind of confusing. I can say in answer to the question, spren are described, rarely described as being humanoid. And in fact, Syl is even only humanoid when she wants to be. You know, when she's carrying the leaf to Kaladin, she just kind of looks this as she looks like a sky eel with something in its mouth. So she's not always in that humanoid shape. Hmm. Other spren are described as looking like blobs of goo looking like balls of light i thought shallan's creation spren were particularly interesting in that they looked like the last thing that they saw so different Mm. objects but then they moved differently Uh, we have music spren that look like ribbons of light flame spren look like insects of congealed light so they look different as far as whether any of them could gain sentience we i don't think we know at this point um, but definitely what's happening to Syl is portrayed as being very, very unusual. Yeah, it seems almost singular. That's that's the impression that you get at this yeah, point. Yeah, of course, and I don't think we can really, I suspect you know the answer, but can't really tell us without getting spoilery, so that means we will have to wait. Yes. I have to come back to that one. So over on our Facebook group page, Theo Graham Bell did the coolest, nerdiest thing I've seen in a while. And he took the Rosharian map, the map of Roshar, and he mapped out the character's birthplace and where they are now, like their progress, each of the main characters that we've read so far. Again, this is spoiler free. So I think Theo has only read up to chapter... um, chapter 14 at this point but yeah he took it and he marked where they all were and where they went with little lines and that's it's, cool it's it's so cool yeah that's really groovy so if you have not joined our facebook group page it's different from the public page for this podcast yeah and we don't put much on the public page hey we've got a new update or that but there's not a lot of activity really going on on the public facebook page but um if you search for the and we'll we'll tell you in a minute how to search for that and find it. There's there are a lot we had a lot of conversations about the King Killer Chronicles and and different books that a lot of our listeners have also read. So there's a lot going on there. Theo also describes the first interlude. He has a, a long he puts a long um, reaction post to to all of the sections. So I can't go into all of it, but my favorite part is that he says. Um, his prediction is that he's going to say that these are are bad guys in the interlude uh, called Ishik. Yeah, yeah. Who are mm-hmm. trying to find a good guy who's sort of a kvoth of this world, but now in coat form. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. I can see it. All right. Uh, Eric Algier on this page also says, <laughs> as a 40 plus male, I sympathize uh, with Dalinar's plight, maintaining good colon health. Yeah, I thought that was funny. I enjoyed that. <laughs> That's my favorite. I enjoyed that. 
So also on Twitter, and this is not related to Name of the Wind, but uh, I'll bring it up because it's something that I think our listeners will enjoy or find interesting. Uh, we have uh, somebody who follows us whose name is Matthew uh, Darioth, D-A-R-E-O-T-H, and he says, uh, for any of you who have read Kingkiller Chronicles, over on uh, the Reddit, we are starting a full spoiler chapter-by-chapter chapter reread. Yes. So that's so something... so in for that. Yeah, something that folks uh, who have listened to this podcast will probably be interested in, so we wanted to let you know about that. Um, you can look on our Twitter, or if you're unsure of how to find it, uh, just reach out to us, and we'll make sure that you know where to get that information. And... We had a couple of new reviews. So we have a new review from a listener on Stitcher. Oh, cool. uh, Named Wist, who said, just found you. I think I'll sit here. Said, I cannot boast a lot of friends who read books. So thank you for the company. Awesome. So we thank you for that review. And I said in the beginning, we like big round numbers because I have something I have not told you. We have reached a milestone of a sorts on our iTunes reviews. We have reached fifty reviews. Nice. There's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts out there on iTunes that never get to fifty reviews. Well, so thank you. Very very pleased. Yep. Thank and, you to everyone that's mm-hmm. left us a review. Yep. So we got another five star rating from an anonymous person, but we also had another uh, review from a person on iTunes, who is Picha Kai, and says, the Duke and Duchess podcast hosts are some of my favorite people on the internet, and they feel like old friends now. I love listening to podcasts about books, and when I discovered they were covering the name of the wind, I had to give them a listen. One year later, and I've read the new books with them, and they've turned into my favorite books of all time. For those that love fantasy, Chad and Liz give great recommendations and some hilarious predictions. They are also very thorough with each story, digging up Easter eggs that I totally missed and making each book 100% more interesting in my opinion. So yeah, basically I love them, and I know you will too. And I'm tearing up just a little bit. That I might be tearing up just a little bit too. Yeah, so I had read this ahead of time, you know, so I'm getting to read it and watch you, watch your inner, you know, your impression and your reaction to it. And, and uh, she's glowing. And I'm just going, oh, well, that's really nice. Thank you. It's very, very nice. We thank you guys so much. Uh, and and things like this are definitely a big part of what keep us going and keeping keep us doing it. So we thank you for that. So. There's still one more very important part of the process that we have not completed yet. Predictions. It's time for predictions. Predict it. All right. Here are my predictions. First, I want to take sort of a guess at where I think the sort of macro plot for this book might be going. Okay. So this is totally a guess. I feel sort of like Dalinar's thing, Unite Them. He feels like it's about the Alethi. But I feel like it might go further than that. And I think it's about uniting the Alethi and the Parshendi and all the people of Roshar against who is going to become a, a what's going to become a much larger potential magical foe 
Um, there's some sort of ancient evil that's going to resurface, and that's what this is going to sort of be about. That's sort of my general take on on where I think this is going. It's a good guess. Uh, so I have a couple of other predictions here. There was someone watching Alucard in the darkness that night. Hmm. Yeah, we didn't get into that too much, that plot point of, of Alucard and we his suspicion it, of assassins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all right. Yeah, absolutely. So there was there was somebody watching. I feel like Gavilar may have been assassinated by the Parshendi because he was too effective at uniting the Alethi. Hmm. All right. And my last prediction is that Shallan's father found the null marble, hmm. the stone with the dark stormlight, the antimatter. When he was digging up, trying to make make some money, trying to mine up some marble, he found something he wasn't supposed to find. He found the gravitonium. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So those are my predictions. Good predictions, babe. Do you have anything else? Nothing. All right. So you can find us on our website at the Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com, on Twitter at the D N D Podcast, and on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Also come join us on our Facebook group page. You can find that by going to Facebook.com backslash groups backslash the D N D group. Or you can just search for Duke and Duchess Podcast Group on Facebook, and you will find us. That's a great, cool place to interact with us. Come check out our new Instagram page at the Duke and Duchess Podcast. We love the reviews. They make us cry a little, but we love them anyway. We also love word of mouth. Uh, we want to. I want to give a, a thank you to Pat Sponigal, who on Twitter reached out to somebody and said, hey, I think you would really like the Duke and Duchess podcast and turning somebody else on to us. We, we love that stuff. It really makes our week, uh, and it keeps us coming back and doing this stuff. Sure does. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.